Greetings. Hi. That was an uninspired greetings, but how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. Uh, This is a a very, very momentous day. Uh, I've been informed by uh, some guy named Matt Welch, uh, who I'll introduce later, that this is uh, this is our one year anniversary show. Happy birthday to Apparently, the first one was on April Fools, um, and um, yeah, we've we've been doing it for a year. We had a, we've been having a lot of fun doing it. Um, I guess I should finish the intro in some way, shape, or form. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and ourselves. Don't this make is... that so by rote, man. You got to yeah. inhabit the lines. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But let me just. Can I finish? Yeah, go ahead. This is episode number fifty-two. Camille doesn't get one yet. Recorded on the evening of April sixth, twenty seventeen. Mm. The the we we are on the eve of World War Three. We will yeah. get into that in a moment. Uh, a few brief words of warning: uh, This program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well well informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations, and uh, a shit ton of whiskey. There oh is uh, there is alcohol being poured. yeah. No, um, number one, I need to give him a little volume in the headphones because I love the sound. God, of turn turn him up in the headphones. Can who I, gave us this one? I so can I can I okay. Well, you fucked up last week. Well, yeah, and I've, I've sort of screwed up again. Look, Todd Waller. <laughs> last week, you are Todd. So hopeless. Todd one Waller. Job. Last week, I don't have one job. I have many because I'm Scots Jamaican, and the Jamaican is very, very fully employed. Could have a little Jamaican. Drink to whiskey. But last week, we, we enjoyed uh, some fantastic. Oh, my God. First of all, that is horrifying. It's, second of all, it's totally true. That was supposed to be Scottish? I, I, it, was, I, it was Jamaican Scottish. I think that was yeah. Scots. Yeah. yeah. My, it's not the Scots part is not on my father's side, um, but that's another story for another day. Um, so last week we got a wonderful bottle of oh. Westland whiskey, and I which did we destroyed. Not, we destroyed it actually, and someone came into the studio and stole some more. Chad over Chad. here, one of his Trump buddies, uh, broke into yeah. the uh, the cabinet over <laughs> yeah. here, and he, some guy with an '88 tattoo on his neck. <laughs> <laughs> he drained like yeah. five sixths of the remaining part of yeah. the bottle. But I but I want to say the trick of that five sixths of the remaining part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, could have been, but I, not very much. I want to say uh, thank you to Todd Waller. For uh, sending us this, uh, this are you saying his bottle. name right? I, I think so. Spell it: W A L L A R. Yes, okay, Todd Waller. Okay, yeah, thank yeah. you. I know I sometimes you. you screw things up. No, some, I do. <laughs> sometimes I make mistakes. I'm not. I'm not perfect. Todd, I'm a man. Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Todd, thank you so much for sending us this booze. So, but this week we uh, we are today enjoying uh, what is this? Elmer, Elmer T. Lee yes. Single Barrel Sour Mash Kentucky Straight Bourbon Straight. Yeah. Bourbon whiskey. Yeah. Whiskey. That's a whiskey. Um, and uh, of course, of course, because I was spending so much mm. time sort of preparing for the show oh, in nice. other ways, I, I By which you mean that Moynihan was late. Yeah. I didn't bring the late. I didn't bring the thing that reminds me who sent this. Serious? So I'm going to thank you next week. And so this we is actually now the have, thing? We just thank people here, a week Do you later? want to hear the worst The worst part oh of all? Because there is so much affection for us, uh-huh. there are back, we have a backlog. <laughs> and there are four or five bottles 
of various kinds of alcohol. In fact, someone sent like six bottles of beer. Um, so we oh. have to do this, and we'll we'll do it systematically. You're gonna and, get you're gonna get on you're gonna useful. go onto iTunes next like week, multiple people, or like in two weeks, and there's gonna be a special episode, and it's gonna be like a minute long. It's just alcohol it's poisoning. Say, a fifth column will not be <laughs> on tonight. Michael Moynihan is in the hospital suffering cirrhosis of the liver. We'll be back. Next year. <laughs> Keep sending them, though. That's not a bold prediction. <laughs> Go fund me. <laughs> yeah. But um, th- there By is... By the way, uh, whoever... I mean, we're going to thank you next week. And, and, and when I find out your name, I'm going to do some background research and talk about you for a while because I feel bad. But the Elmer T. Lee yeah. um, is uh, quite delicious. I've just been having a little of it. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Is Camille splashing yeah. it in his iced tea? I, it's like not a, iced tea. It's uh, it's some it's sort antioxidant of flavored, infusion. What the water. fuck is wrong with yeah, you? I'm sorry. God. I'm sorry. You know your mother listens to this show. I'm, I'm, mom. Yeah, say you're sorry. He he does the disclaimer at the top. I do. I do. And I also don't... sometimes sometimes <laughs> think people think especially when I'm, I'm very loud yeah. that I'm you. Oh, really? So, Mom, uh, if you hear a lot of cussing, yeah. especially if it's in a Jesse Jack scent, it's definitely, <laughs> definitely <laughs> morning. But I just say I haven't, I haven't done the Jesse Jack scent. You love the portmanteau with scent. Yeah, you know. You? The Jack scent I haven't done in a while. Look at Camille. Just made a, he just made a face when he Whew. was drinking that booze. And I'll tell you something about Camille. <laughs> Let me tell you a story about Mr. Foster. He uh, can have a couple of sips of the, of the booze. And then you know what happens? Just a couple. He sounds immediately like uh, like the love child of Nick Nolte and Foster Brooks. He's like, I don't even fucking want to even talk about it. Let's just talk about it Syria. I, uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a lightweight. A bit of a lightweight. I'm a, a bit lightweight. of a lightweight. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know if I did the introductions properly and said that you are Michael Moynihan, yeah. national correspondent for HBO's Vice News Tonight, and yeah. you, sir, are Matt Welch, editor-at-large yeah. of Reason Magazine. I am Camille Foster. I do various things at Freethink, and I just released uh, that series, Wrong, that I talked about a couple of weeks That's ago. That's right. I saw it on uh, yeah. Facebook. You should, go, you should go watch those videos and tell yeah. me what you think, um, and uh, we'll talk about that another time because there's, so uh, there's so much news for us to cover, um, but also... Um, it's, it has been a year. It's been a, a good year. Um, I've enjoyed doing this uh, a lot with uh, with you gentlemen, and I'm so sorry that fun. it has to end today. What? This is our last dispatch. What? I kid. <laughs> I ju- what uh, it's not, it's not our last dispatch. No, this is this is. Uh, I told you, gets one drink fun. and he starts canceling. This is no, like it's the been Sex fun. Pistols. Uh, <laughs> at some, at some you point, the we feeling will... you've been cheated. <laughs> the cow <laughs> palace in San Francisco. That's right. At some point, we'll get ourselves sorted and have a regular regular day. I'm sure. We promised some news, and that coming up, and that will come up still sometime soon there are things yeah. in the works that are fifth column related word but, uh, yes but just so you know so many i just like things. you know you give a little taste and maybe they'll come back and get send us some more booze or right. we could just like filibuster for the first 25 minutes of the show without talking about world war three yeah but i mean let's i mean this is a celebratory episode this is one true. we sense, won't let them get us down and we will not let you know vicious monsters in the middle east do we uh yet. can we throw a couple of thanks out or do we want to yeah, save sure. that for later i want to i want to do that up top Let's do it up but, top. I mean, like, when you watch an Oscar speech, like, you're like, oh, fuck, here we go. That's true. 20 minutes of yeah, thanking, that's like, true. and then that's they true. put the music on. And then, you know what? It also, you know, we're since thanking we, people all the time. We do yeah, think, we well, you just want to thank Dave Lee, don't you? We will. <laughs> thank Dave Lee a bunch of times. No, I was going yeah. to throw one to my wife, because oh. she put, what? 
Yeah, oh, that's God. fine. You know, I mean, it's fine. She's still drinking. I like your wife. Oh God, I do. She's drinking right now. Uh, let's yeah. let's for, let's forgo this. Let's yeah, see let's if we yeah. remember to do it at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By then we'll be slurring. Yeah. It'll be more fun. And and then we'll we'll get into some other things. I and, and I can tell you about the guy that I shoulder checked in the subway. Friend Mickey. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah. we but All we have right. a tale a tale of two red lines. Uh, yes. There is a, a coming war in Syria, mm. which which we must talk about. Susan Rice, the former national security advisor under the Obama administration. There's some news this week involving her unmasking uh, Trump-associated persons. documents. Or something. <laughs> uh, putting them into her pants. Yeah, sticky rice. In her pantyhose. That, that's, not a, that's not actually No, that happened. was uh, Sandy Berger. Um, we, we have, Sandy Berger still alive? Sandy Burglar? Uh, he's probably like living in a, like a duplex with Webb Hubble. I have no idea. Uh, because I have a dead friend who oh, was God. your dead friend, too. Moynihan. Oh. Who used to go to AA? Ooh, ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, that way I just, I was going to yeah, say, I yeah, violated yeah, yeah. it, didn't I? No, because you just said a dead person. We know a lot of dead people. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> go I don't on. Sorry. About, but I don't. <laughs> because of stuff like this. Yeah. I'm and then there's Devin, Devin Nunez has uh, stepped aside. Yeah. He is. Uh, Nunez. Do, n- that's what I said. There's no tilde on this. Just Nunez. That's not, that's I think not you what said, I said Nunez. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I only say Nunez. Yeah, nu- I continue. Nu- Nunez and Nunez. Yeah. If there was anyone by that name, yeah. he is no longer responsible for heading up the House's intelligence investigation into uh, the Russian hacking of the election. Hacking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and whatever connection there may be to the Trump administration and, of course, wiretapping of Trump Tower. But let's set all of those other things aside. Oh, yeah, there's also some nuclear thing happening in Congress. So we should talk about that as well. And in North Korea. And, yeah, in, yeah. and in North Korea. Two different I, types of Obviously, there's one, one is a grave threat to democracy and the other is a distraction. And, yeah. and the we grave know threat which, to yeah, democracy we, is yeah. in, it's in Congress, <laughs> exactly. obviously. So we, we can start, I think, with the, uh, with the tale of two red lines, uh, the increasing tensions in Syria after a chemical weapons attack earlier this week uh, in the northern region of the country. Uh, intelligence organizations all over the world, including the United States, are insisting that the Assad regime is responsible for this. Oddly, uh, Moscow continues to believe that... Uh, no, the Assad regime. They, I mean, they've they, been they kind of didn't. They've been hedging on it. They've yeah. been hedging on it. But yeah. I mean, they have a pretty good reason to hedge on it. I mean, that's well, their ally. Their their ally. Yes. You know, those. I mean, those things came. Those bombs came out of planes, and the planes that are sitting in airfields outside of Damascus are Russian planes and Syrian planes. Yeah. So, so there's you know, there's that. If 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 we talk about bombing airfields, we're going to talk about bombing some Russian. We planes should. Too. We yeah. and we will talk about that. Yeah. Hillary Clinton is calling for that. But these, what's interesting for that. is these uh, these gas attacks. Uh, this or this gas attack. I don't know that it was plural. Apologies. Um, but it comes on the heel uh, heels of senior Trump administration officials, uh, both Secretary of State Rex Tillerson and Ambassador Nikki Haley, ambassador to the United Nations, both essentially being very vocal not so long ago, talking about um, the fact that the Assad that Assad perhaps we can sort of live with mm-hmm. him. That yeah. they didn't say it in that way, but they were a heck of a lot more explicit about it than previous administrations who have had to deal with this problem and have decided that the priority is dealing with ISIS, finding a way to contain them or degrade them in yeah. um, or destroy them in Syria and not so much dealing with Assad. Um, however, things have changed pretty dramatically um, as a consequence of this. Uh, we have uh, President Donald Trump making remarks earlier this week um, and uh, I believe uh, we have some audio of that, which we can. Uh, well, I might be to. today from the Rose Garden, and uh, and it was last week that Nikki Haley on Thursday said uh, on the floor of the UN. I mean, basically, was saying um, that we are comfortable with uh, mm-hmm. with uh, dealing with the Assad regime, and our our goal is not regime change. 
And then yesterday she gave like a death stare to the uh, the Russian ambassador. Yeah, quite a performance. Uh, yesterday gave a gave a performance on the. I mean, it's a performance. I don't mean that in a pejorative. She uh, held up pictures of dead children, gave a gave a pretty tub thumping uh, performance, and then went. Uh, to the Women in the World conference that Tina Brown runs, uh, sat down on stage and was promptly booed the entire time. Yeah. Uh, unrelated for that, but you know they, she she couldn't really get through well, here, uh, what she was doing. But well, anyway, here's Donald yeah, Trump. Here's Donald Trump uh, yesterday. I like to think of myself as a very flexible person. I don't have to have one specific way, and if the world changes, uh, I go the same way. I don't. He's saying he goes both ways. Yes. I want you to follow up. Follow yeah. up. Yeah. Sorry just, about that. Just put in context. Well, I do change, and I am flexible, and I'm proud of that flexibility. And I will tell you, that attack on children yesterday had a big impact on me. Big impact. That was a horrible, horrible thing. And I've been watching it and seeing it, and it doesn't get any worse than that. And I have that flexibility. And... It's very, very possible, and I will tell you, it's already happened, that my attitude toward Syria and Assad has changed very much. And if you look back over the last few weeks, there were other attacks using gas. You're now talking about a whole different level. Mm. So, as you know, I would love to have never been in the Middle East. I would love to have never seen that whole big situation start. But once it started, we got out the wrong way, and ISIS formed in the vacuum, and lots of bad things happened. I will tell you, what happened yesterday is unacceptable to me. ABC All right. Well, you know, I, let me just... Uh, I'll kick this off and throw it to you guys pretty quickly, but... But maybe not so quickly. <laughs> you know, you know me. I can be a little long-winded. Speaking of which, when I, we did the transcript of the Massey interview and put it on Reason, yeah. I had to, like, lop off yeah. entire paragraphs of Moynihan's sure. questions sure. just so that, like, we could see what, anything just else. just so people would be bored by the other questions? Yeah. All right. He gets uh, yeah, paid by the word that, here. He gets paid by the word. Please. Yeah. Um, a couple things about that. Uh, the first, you're just really bowled over by the elegance and the eloquence of that statement. I mean, he's really Churchillian in the fact that he sounds like he's having a – stroke every time he talks. I mean, <laughs> seriously. I mean, what is, I mean, this is the president. I just. Congratulations, America. Congratulations, America. He's like, I change minds. I do like, he's all over the place. If you ask but, me, that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, a feature, but... not a bug, but everything to you is a feature, not a bug. <laughs> um, you know, when the world changes, I change. Um, it is a version, he wouldn't know this, but. I, it's always attributed to the wrong person, to, to I think John Maynard Keynes, but it, I think it was Paul Samuelson who actually said it, you know, the famous quote of mm-hmm. like, when the facts change, um, uh, I change my mind, what do you do, sir? Uh, yeah, that's great. That would be uh, perfectly acceptable had the facts actually not changed. Nothing's changed here. Yeah, there's, um, there is that. This is, you know, I don't know what other gas attacks he was talking about. He just sort of makes things up as he goes. But this, as, we, as far as we know now, and there's a lot of trust that one has to, has to um, take on here when you're talking about this stuff. But it's a bit of, a, you know, the Reagan's, Reagan's old dictum at this point, you know, trust but verify. Um, there's a lot of people on the ground there. There's a lot of intelligence services on the ground there. The Turks, um, who have a great, um, you know, interest in, in, in knocking out Assad themselves. 
said that this was that the, the bodies of three children did test positive for, for sarin gas. And there's a lot of environmental factors that suggest that it was sarin gas. Um, now, this is the third such attack in recent times. I mean, you have uh, the first one, which is the red line. You have chlorine gas attacks. Which, back in uh, 2012. Was, 12, uh, yeah. And then there's some the chlorine, chlorine bombs, but they don't really fall under the conventions of, of chemical weapons. So, And, you know, look, uh, Obama was quite proud of brokering the deal. This was the kind of papering over of the red line of that they gave up their sarin gas. And there was an Obama administration official that admitted today that they don't think that they got all of it. Well, it's nice of you guys to tell us now. Um, so nothing much has changed. But the, the thing that you see with Donald Trump is that Donald Trump watches a lot of television. He's always referencing things on TV. He watches Morning Joe and he watches, you know, Fox and Friends and this stuff. And clearly, and I think this is actually true, and I'm going to take him at his word on this, he was clearly affected by the images. They are very affecting images. They're arresting, terrifying images. And there's something different about, you know, the foam pouring out of the mouth and the, and the kid's little chest heaving than it is, you know, bombs that just rip them apart. And that's equally as horrifying and offensive. Um, so this goes on every day, but, you know, the, the kind of, you know, the manner in doing it is different, but the, the end result is effectively the same. So he sees this, and I believe that this has an effect on him. But this is what we voted for. Not we. I didn't vote for the guy. But this is what people voted for. A guy that reacts to things on television. The guy is purely emotes and emotion becomes politics. So he's changing an entire and – he, and he's right when he says, I don't have – what he's saying, like what a smart person would say if they were going to admit what you know, Donald Trump is admitting is, I don't have an ideological core. And I can switch and turn on a dime and don't be surprised by it. I mean, you have Steve Bannon, who doesn't want to have anything to do with the Middle East, um, being kicked off the National Security Council this week. Quite, quite handy that that happened this week. Moin Hansbone. Uh, was that mine? Yep. Uh, very popular. Um, so, you know, he's clearly seeing this and, 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 and responding to it. Because also keep in mind that if you look back in Donald Trump's tweets, when the red line thing was happening, Donald Trump was upbraiding uh, – Barack Obama and saying, don't do anything, don't go in there. Mm -hmm. So what has changed? And also if you do get congressional authorization. Yeah. This, which, is, which is very interesting. I mean, Barack Obama did end up going for congressional authorization once that red line was in fact crossed. Um, yeah, sort of, but yeah, but, but he, but he, he did wasn't it. looking at, but no, he yeah, did it he, as a, he, he did went, it as a dodge. He, he was went, hoping to be stopped. He watched the British uh -huh. actually go up for parliamentary authorization. Yeah, and once and he get saw the, shut down, yeah. get shut yeah. down, then he's like, okay, maybe I won't ask you, and maybe we won't do it. And and it wasn't the the authorization wasn't to uh, you know. Uh, change the regime in Damascus right. either. Right. So thing. to getting well, this is so. This is the question. I mean, you mentioned ideological core. I mean, we see earlier today Hillary Clinton actually, um, and I'm I'm seeing a news alert that suggests that Hillary Clinton has called on the U.S. to take out Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad's airfields. Um, there is yeah. some consistency here from Hillary Clinton. For sure. Hillary is amongst the the broad swath of bipartisan hawks. Um, on Syria, who have called for us to get more involved, for us to take direct action, for us to be going after both uh, ISIS and various other factions associated with ISIS and the Assad regime, so let's proceeding, both sides. proceeding both, yeah. proceeding both, pursuing both goals in Syria, um, and to uh, establish things like, a, say, a no-fly zone. So there's some idea, there's some consistency there. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that that consistency is necessarily going to uh, give you a better result. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, Marco Rubio is saying the same thing. John McCain is saying the same thing. It's uh, we'll get the airfields. We can send cruise missiles. Maybe we can yeah. create these safe zones, which, by the way, Donald Trump did talk about it on the campaign trail mm-hmm. that somehow that would solve the refugee pr- uh, crisis if we could make uh, safe zones for people in Syria. It's like how do you yeah. actually do that? that? That Turkish border is all, quote unquote, safe zones of, of refugees. The uh, uh, This whole moment. And I think there's we can maybe get into this. I think right now. Uh, just out of defensive reflex, a lot of people are maybe reacting 10% more hawkish or interpreting uh, Trump and Tillerson's comments to be slightly more hawkish than they have been uh, literally, mm-hmm. which is to say Trump says, you know, we're going to do something. Right. Uh, Tillerson says there's something already on the way. But Tillerson also said that the uh, that first you have to d- deal with ISIS. So they're, I think they're looking for uh, discussions to do something about the regime, but I don't think that we're going to be launching the bombs like two days from now as no. we were in August 2013. We were 48 hours away. I, I, yeah, I think that's probably right. But, but you know, this is a test of the, the kind of um, the anti-Iraq war position from 2003. Everybody now uh, remembers themselves as principled opponents of the Iraq war because they were were you know presaging all of the the bad things that were going to happen in sectarian strife that would happen. Well, not really. I mean, if you go back, I mean, the biggest <laughs> argument, and I know Matt, you'll remember this, was the fact that we didn't build an international coalition. The Germans weren't behind us. Remember, we Yoshka, went it alone. Yoshka Fischer um, saying uh, to either Donald Rumsfeld, I think it actually was Rumsfeld. That said, I am not convinced. And he said it in English. Do you remember that? I mean, it's like, and this is a guy that, that you know, is an old peacenik, uh, Strassenkämpfer, beating up people in, in the 1960s as a member of the Marxist left, but who had actually, you know, got involved in the Balkans. And he was like, well, we got to get these guys on the side. I am not convinced this socialist and green coalition. Same thing is true in France. I mean, remember the famous New York Post cover of the weasels. But, you know, we didn't get a coalition. And then the Bush administration's response, and they still still to this day, said, we had a coalition, and you talk about Georgia, yeah. and you talk about Honduras, and you talk about Denmark, which is, you know, some of those countries are significant and actually lost people, and we shouldn't be you know, kind of flippant about it. But now the Trump administration seems, and there are some hints out of D.C. today, that one of the things, what they have in the works is a coalition that they're trying to build of, you know, Theresa May's government in the U.K., Germany and Angela Merkel's government, the French are very much raring to go on this too, a socialist government too, a Francois Hollande, Turkey, et cetera. Now you have this. So guys, do you remember that you said, you know, we have this stuff and we're ready to go. Is that going to be okay? Or we learned a lesson from Iraq in a particular way, because keep this in mind. There's one thing to remember about this when it comes to coalition building with Europe. They have a very, very keen interest in stopping the bleeding and hemorrhaging for the Middle East for domestic reasons. Yeah. Mainstream uh, parties are losing out to far right parties because of refugees. They would love to see Syria pacified. There's another uh, element that I feel like I want to do at least a small end zone dance on uh, on on some people. This is what we're seeing right now with Trump and the flexibility and I can change my mind at the drop of a hat. Um, this is exactly what those of us who were arguing that this is not an anti-war president, and it's not going to be an yeah. anti-war presidency. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what but we are. There's argue. somebody that tells me all the time that you are. You said that about Donald. Yeah, Trump. We, sh- we we don't need to address. Jesus we don't need to address Christ. those people. Yeah. yeah. The Scannon Center. Enough, people. Uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, uh, no. That uh, that uh, uh, the point of having you can say 
you can make a lot of speeches. You can claim, you can overclaim how much you were against the Iraq war as, as Trump did and how much you were against the Syria war. But, you know, he can, you can campaign in South Carolina, smacking the Bush family around about their wars. And you can say some anti-interventionist things on many occasions, as all of which is true with Trump. Um, but if you're an ignoramus about foreign policy. And he definitely has been an ignoramus about foreign policy. Doesn't know what he's talking about. He's, he's, he hasn't been uh, curious over the, the course of his life. Uh, um, and when he talks about, talked about on the campaign trail, you know, it's clear he's sort of winging it and, and badly so and just kind of on one hand saying, Let's, we need to take their oil. And then the other hand, you know, what are we doing in Afghanistan? But if you're an ignoramus and you become president, what happens every time you become president? Something bad. Yeah. Something bad always happens. And when something bad happens and you get even more intel, and I'm sure he's getting most of his intel from Fox and Friends in the morning and they have cameras too, but still – you're the president. You want the bad thing to stop. Yeah. And so you have this awful, you know, burden of responsibility. And so this bad thing happens and you're going to turn and consult the people who've been obsessing about the bad thing. Bill Crystal today tweeted out like, you know, I have my, my you know, uh, qualms with Donald Trump here. But if he does the right thing here in Syria, sure. I will get behind him because I'm a patriot. Uh, I mean, think about that, though. That's a really interesting point is that the fractured, <laughs> the fractured Republican coalition and the fractured coalition with our allies can potentially be healed by unified military action. I think that there's some that is some of the calculation. Yeah, but that's not Trump's base. No, it's not Trump's base at all. And that's but I interesting. Think that, but but you know, when when you have your first hundred days where you haven't had one uh, policy success, you're losing so bad with your own party. There might be, and I'll tell you what, th this is an interesting thing: is that you have, um, you know, I saw Adam Kinsinger today, whom you know I interviewed and and I like a lot, but he is definitely in the in the Lindsey Graham, John McCain camp. I mean, he's served in Afghanistan and Iraq, I believe, or maybe just Iraq. And, you know, was saying we got to do something. And this is the sort of we got to do something coalition. We have to figure out what before we actually do something. That's always an afterthought. But, you know, th this kind of split amongst Republicans, there can be a unity on foreign policy because there is almost a there is almost a, a kind of genetic twitch that happens, particularly amongst Republicans. It happens about both parties when there is looming military action to unite behind it, mm -hmm. even if it is ill-considered and, right. and ill-conceived. And I started seeing a bit of that today. But the one thing that I found very interesting is I was I, – I, when I'm coming up here, I often – when I get on the subway, I often put on Hugh – like the last hour of Hugh Hewitt's radio program because it is the only kind of semi-literate insight into Trumpville. And he's gone off the deep end and he loves Trump. But so he had uh, like Jake Tapper on today and he always has like Jake Tapper and um, uh, what's his name from NBC? Host Meet the Press. Sorry. Uh, Chuck Todd. Uh, Chuck mm -hmm. Todd. The ging, the ginger. Uh, and in the middle of these two segments and listen to it. It's pretty interesting. He takes calls and he hangs up on the first guy and he calls him a nutter uh, because he's like, you know, it's, you know, we, you know, we made a mess in Iraq. And, and he was like, you know, bomb them to to, you know, back into the, the fourth century. I think they're in the seventh century now. And he's he cuts the, this, the president's uh, description of them, which bombed the shit out of them. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Some guy actually called in and said bomb the piss out of them. So I want. I mean, the most interesting thing for me was listening to this chain of callers over over that, and, and then a commercial break and more callers, almost to a person. There were a few at the end. I think they started screening them. They were like, you know, let these uh, damn middle pe people in the Middle East, you know, you know, kill kill is not our business, et cetera. And that is not something you would have heard uh, his callers say on that show. 
in 2003, mm. right? I mean, you see it now. I mean, you see this. I see Republicans kind of, even the ones that have been skeptical, kind of on the fence, you know, saying, well, you know, we're going to be with the president because we're trying to be on his side because we're his caucus, basically, of the pro-Trump people. And he's going towards war. And then the rest of them, those left behind that have been taking shots at the president, are the sort of leftover husk of neoconservatism. So it's a really interesting time to watch this stuff. I was on uh, House of Pain's show, Charles Payne, making money on Fox Business uh, this afternoon, talking exactly about this. And my co-panelists were Frank Gaffney. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, the counsel for, you know, the counsel killing... for uh, Muslim hatred. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. And then uh, former Congressman Joe Walsh. Yeah. And the three of us. So who are the right wing guys? <laughs> exactly. Jeez. The three of us all totally agreed, like to a word. And that's how frightening my world is. Right. You know, I mean, we you know agreed why. about this. Yeah. They agreed. They agreed for different reasons. Yeah. But they also. And what's that reason? Uh, I mean, that. It's going to empower the Muslim Brotherhood yep. uh, and that uh, – but also that we don't do nation building well and it's their part of the world, those you no, know, foreign it, it, devils. It, it, the stuff. first part's right. The second part's nonsense if they say it because I, I, Frank Gaffney who cut his teeth in the Reagan administration, uh, if you even call them that, they're quite dull teeth. I mean he's, he's, he's pretty uh, – he's almost toothless and ineffective these days. But Frank Gaffney is a guy that would love to, to you know, flex American muscle. In Iran. In Iran, yeah. yeah. I mean so basically it's not about nation building. It's about – I, I don't believe Muslims are capable of democracy. And, you know, I, this is the thing that I've talked about here before, is that the, this, is the Islamophilia of George W. Bush, and that sounds weird to people's ears, and when he went to the mosque after 9-11 and said, you know, they want democracy just like us. And, you know, if George Bush had a problem, it was that maybe he was too Islamophilic from the perspective of these people. And they are, to use a kind of nonsense term that has just entered the lexicon, you know, the Islamophobic mm -hmm. uh, thing is that, you know, th these are people who believe in a book that is gives them all of their diktats for the day. And it's something that belongs in a different century. And we can't pretend that they're ever going to be democratic peoples. And that's essentially where they are now. And I, I don't I, I think that's nonsense. But. But yeah, I mean that's why. But Frank to, your, uh, to your point on uh, on public opinion changing on this, I was uh, in 2013 during uh, that late August period where we went, you know, from 48 hours away from the bombing was supposed to start to it not happening. Mm -hmm. um, I happened to be following around Rand Paul for a, uh, a cover story that I did for Newsmax, of all weird things. What? Yeah, I did a, a cover story for Newsmax about Rand Paul's foreign policy, and I and the time that I was covering him was they during. They paid you well. They did. This is this is back when folks thought that he might actually uh, become president. Yeah, it was United like uh, it, the the assignment was you know our conservative readers kind of like him, but we're a little bit worried about that he's going to be like Ron Paul here and mm. talk about false flags all the time, as Ron Paul <laughs> did this week, obviously, because it's a week uh, with war happening in it. Uh, but so I, I, but I observed him in real time. He went from, he came very, I was talking about with this with Camille before the show. He uh, came uh, dangerously close to a false flag accusation at that time because there was that, the, there was the uh, gas attack. And so he's like, you know, you have to ask yourself, qui bono? And anytime yeah. someone uh, yeah. who's an anti interventionist says qui bono, it's like, yeah. oh, God. It's here. the only Latin that makes you sound like a complete fucking lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> but he then went from that and he pivoted pretty well to uh, the. Strong, I think, uh, anti-interventionist argument, which is to say, hey, look, let's – and this echoes what you're saying about Moynihan. Um, instead of, of everything being about what should we do, let's talk about what can we do yeah. um, and what could we do. This was uh, – I was at a uh, 
conference in D.C. when I couldn't go on the show uh, here a couple weeks back, and it was about foreign policy and interventionism. And that was like the one real positive takeaway that I took from that uh, from people who had been active in planning these various things is that we never talk about what we actually can do. What we can do is we can decapitate a regime. We're pretty good at that. What we can't do is plan very well for what happens five months, five years afterwards. Uh Uh, We can't um, figure out a an occupation that turns into a transition pretty well. There's a bunch of stuff that we just can't do, um, and so we should uh, therefore think about this. And uh, so Rand Paul turned that corner in August, uh, saying, "Look, you need congressional authorization," which mm-hmm. uh, he and and other uh, people like Mike Lee have been uh, reiterating this week that if Trump really wants to go for it, he better. He which be- is which is I think this is a good thing. I think it's an absolutely good thing and and, sure. and, and a right thing. Absolutely right. Um, and then also you got to think yourself through what 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 do you want to do and 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 are we going to what what is the national interest? What's going to come afterwards? And these uh-huh. are all complicated questions. And at the time. Um, uh, there was a moment when Freedom Works got in, Tea Party related group back then, which had always been, we're just going to focus on Obamacare and debt and deficits, and let's just like not do other things. Yeah, yeah. But the calls were coming in talk radio at that time, eighty to twenty against the Syrian war. Sure. It was the first time conservative grassroots really expressed themselves as an anti-intervention moment, and I think a lot of those people were attracted to Trump, and that's the great question going forward is. Is their affiliation with Trump, the actual people who voted for him, are they going to go with him as he becomes flexible and changes because they like him so much? Or is part of their reason why they went to him in the first place is that we've had 15 years of really shitty governance and every every big project from Washington has sucked, including the big war projects. Uh, and so will they go with him to either a big one or a little like little Libya war project? Because that turned out really bad, too. Yeah, well, there's there's something um, that's sort of uh, I, I suppose this is a bit of a pivot. And, and part of the question here from me to, to both of you uh, and I. I have feelings about this, uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know how strong a conclusion I can draw about it. But there is something meaningfully different about the Uni- way the United States, uh, the press, and voters think about conflicts and think about, say, civilian sure. casualties, for example. Um, and it's certainly different uh, for them to hear uh, that in, say, a place like Yemen, where there has been an ongoing conflict for a very long time uh, that the United States has been indirectly involved in by way of providing some sort of support to uh, the Saudis, which we've talked about here before, um, since before uh, the Trump administration. Um, but there were reports of like millions of children who are starving there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certainly far fewer people dying from bombs and guns there. Uh, but they are effectively using starvation as a weapon. Um, and I, I noticed um, a piece in the uh, New York Times, uh, I believe it was uh, it was one of those editorial opinion pieces, uh, and it was uh, very critical of Donald Trump for taking a meeting in the White House with uh, a guy who's in charge in Egypt. Um, Egypt, mm-hmm. a place that is not particularly friendly to human rights these days. Uh, there was all sorts Unlike of optimism. the other days. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was all sorts of optimism uh, at a time in the not-too-distant past uh, when there was a revolution taking place uh, throughout the Middle East and there were expectations that perhaps something great will come out of Egypt. It uh, didn't turn out that way. But in either case, um, the New York Times is um, – the piece opens with them saying American presidents must sometimes deal with unsavory f- foreign leaders in pursuit of America's national interests – But that doesn't require inviting them to the White House and lavishing them with praise and promise 
of unconditional support. It wasn't quite unconditional. Uh, Donald Trump, in his own inarticulate way, um, talked about the the few things that they don't agree on, which I suppose includes, say, incarcerating uh, journalists and various other political opponents of your government. Um, but the piece closes um, with uh, the, the Times editorial board saying, uh, Mr. Trump has made it transparently clear that human rights and democracy are not big concerns uh, and that he places more value on Egypt as a partner in the field in the fight against the Islamic State. Um, I don't know that there's much difference between Mr. Trump and most other presidents when it comes to stuff like that. It may be the case that he is exceedingly ham-fisted um, yeah. and he doesn't do a very good job of managing sort of the the, the optics well. He doesn't know the how to use sort of uh, well-parsed language that has been well-scripted so that he cannot be too complimentary of this ally that is really, really important to some particular goal that they have. Um, but for whatever reason, there is like, one, I think journalists tend to write differently when it is sort of the United States' ally doing something. They just, they, they don't seem to understand it particularly well. Two, though, there is also something very different when folks on the left are talking about, say, Donald Trump. Um, there was a, a there's a section of the piece where they talk about uh, the fact that the United States suspended delivery of a modest amount of military aid and asked for improvements in human rights and democracy, um, which never happened. That is describing um, sort of the, the 2013 massacre that happened. So who suspended this modest amount of military aid? Well, it was the United States government under Barack Obama. We kind of resumed it. We did the same thing in Yemen. Um, and, and I don't know. I'm just there is outrage about the use of the, the nerve gas um, in Syria. And there should be. It is disgraceful and it's despicable. I do wish that there could be some sustained um, outrage about the things that the United States is also involved in in other parts of the world that result in civilian casualties that aren't necessarily producing particularly good strategic outcomes for us, uh, but are pr apparently only a problem when uh, someone of the uh, political party that you're not particularly excited about I mean, is engaged there. Wake me up when the when an American president doesn't hold hands with a Saudi king, whoever that might be. Right, or whoever. Yeah. I mean, you, you're going to get uh, uh, you know a lot of praise if you have uh, whoever at that moment the leader of Iran is because people think that is like, you know, gone from 1979 to today. We've had this really icy relationship that's caused no end of problems. It's fantastic that we're opening up. I mean, we did the Iran deal as a separate track deal that had no consideration for human rights or for American journalists or Americans that were imprisoned in Iran. That was not, I mean, I talked to the two of the people that, that, that structured that deal in the past two months, and I put that question to both of them, and they both said, hey, that wasn't our concern. Our concern was, was slowing down Iran's nuke program, and that was it. And, uh, the, and there's an analog with Cuba. We didn't ask for we much ask for in the way. I still think it's right. I'm less convinced, or I just sure. don't know enough about I the mean, Iran get, deal. The get, Cuba I, is totally right, but look, they didn't waste a lot of capital trying to get human rights concessions out of That's there. exactly right. And these are two countries that should be crying uncle. The reason the Iranians came to the table was the sanctions were really biting. 
and it was really hurting the population. And when it hurts the population, there's discontent in the population. That's what sanctions are supposed to do. And so they came to the table because sanctions were hurting. So we'll give you crate loads of cash and we'll lift these sanctions, provided you play ball with us. And they did. And you're in a position where, well, you we don't really push it. Well, no, you do want to push it, actually. And with Cuba, it's the same thing. I mean, Cuba has weathered uh, Venezuela. We're seeing the same thing. There's protests in Venezuela today. It doesn't matter how low they go. They managed to hang on for, to power because they've been doing it since 1959. And by the way, cutting off arms shipments, people don't remember this, but America did that to Batista. <laughs> no one remembers it. Actually did that, and today, you know, you're, you're doing some bad stuff in 1958, and then the Cuban, the, the communists come to power in 59. So we've done this kind of half We, we don't cut them off. We, we slow yeah, them down. Yeah, we slow them down, and we've been arming them. them. They, they have plenty of our bolt-action rifles anyway. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, for people, as, people looking at the situation in the Middle East and say, what do we do? I mean, we all we're gonna we have to go back to the Jean Kirkpatrick, you know, dictatorships and double standards, the thing that she wrote for commentary that got her the job as a Democrat, got her a job in the Reagan administration that said, hey, you know what? Uh, Jimmy Carter is saying the, the human rights based foreign policy. We do have to deal with our bastards. Right. You know, he might be a bastard, but he's our bastard. We have to do that in Nicaragua, you know, with the Samosa family. And look, you know, we kind of have to do that in Egypt, too. I mean, what is the alternative to saying, you know, look. We, we, do we deal with Mohamed Morsi? No, he's a bad guy. He's you know, taken over. He's democratically elected, but he wasn't. And, you know, he's jailing people and he's Muslim Brotherhood. Do we deal with Sisi? It's like, you know, Egypt, we brokered a deal at Camp David with the Egyptians that is the only deal in the Middle East that's actually lasted. The Egyptians, we pay them off. We talk about Israel being the number one recipient of foreign aid. Number two has always been Egypt. We say, do not roll across the Sinai and, you know, collude with other Arab countries and destroy Israel, they've managed not to do that. So when that stability is shaky, there's the realpolitik that says, you know, we've got to deal with this guy. I don't know what Trump said. I don't know if he promised him the moon or praised them or something. But, you know, he's been destroying the trying to destroy the Islamists in his country. And he's also destroyed democracy and democratic institutions. And if Egypt had a revolution, people said, well, you know, you could buy a beer in Egypt. There was a brewery. And, and you know, I mean, th it wasn't a place that you thought that this sort of thing would happen. But it is a place that has authoritarianism in its DNA. So, yeah, OK, you deal with them. Do you praise them? Do you make them your best buddy? No. But so. What is that balance? You do have to deal with these people. Well, uh, one one area, and I think ultimately it's why I want it, I, I want it to be you and you're interviewing Samantha Power because uh, she was the genocide chick who then became the U.N. ambassador. Um, she was the person whose whole worldview was wrapped. That was her Twitter handle, genocide chick. Yeah, I mean, seriously, that's, that was her. That's, <laughs> At genocide chick. Um, and, you know, we she comes from my generations. We have mutual friends in common, uh, very close friends. Uh, uh, she was in, uh, reporting the Yugoslav wars and uh, when I was living in, in Central Europe. Uh, and by the way, she's deeply impressive. And I know oh, yeah. that this is a, probably a tick on the bingo card. Uh, but, oh, yeah, you know, right. this, is actually, <laughs> this is actually somebody who, a problem from hell, is not a book that has that many solutions as far as interventionism is concerned. But it says America stood by while these genocides have happened. And, and it the talks, actual, talks it, shit about Susan Rice, too. Uh, uh, oh, that's right. It does. Yeah, it does. Oh, my God, that's right. She hated and, Susan Rice. And that was Rice. a Rwanda thing, was it? Yeah, it was Rwanda-related. Susan Rice had, like, uh, a big Africa uh, yeah, responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, back then. But, but one of the, the parts in Problem from Hell is, like, can you believe how horrible it is that we don't recognize that uh, the Armenian genocide that Turkey committed between 1915 and 1924 of around a million or whatever people uh, that we can't just say on April 24th, which is coming up, 
yeah. uh, that this was a genocide. A hundred year la- years later, who like stole uh, America's own tongue to talk about this? And she's right. I totally agree with that. And she became and she recorded a video and go look at it on YouTube. It's incredible. It's plaintive. Like looking into the camera and telling the Armenian community in Glendale and New Jersey and everywhere else, like finally in Barack Obama, you'll have someone who gets it. Mm. He understands the power of words and that by calling a genocide a genocide, that's the first step towards stopping this happening. And of course, what happened when Barack Obama became he also, president? He also understood the power well, of politics. I'm, 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 but, the but, need wait, to deal with this, Turks. There's a point here. Mm-hmm. And the point is that, um, he, of course, he didn't do it. You need to deal with Turks. But your need to deal with Turks is directly proportional to how much you are out there trying to influence the way the world works, particularly however interventionist you're going to be. Gene Kirkpatrick wrote Dictators and Double Standards at a time when we were fighting proxy wars all over the globe. And thank yeah. God we don't do that anymore. So we don't have to make peace with freaking apartheid South Africa because they're holding the line against commies like Nelson Mandela. That was a bargain that we struck in the 80s, and it's awful to think about that. But right? we do but we have do, to prevent, pretend the Saudis are our friends and the Egyptians no, are our friends? No, my point is that we don't and that we shouldn't, and, right. I, and that if we became less interventious, my my sense of realism is yeah. that part of realism should be you actually talk more about human rights problems. It's just that that's... you solve them less with American guns. I think that sounds about right to me. But, I mean, but, Gary Kasparov... Um, yeah. has his uh, his book, uh, Winter is Coming, yeah. um, which uh, I, I read not too long ago. And there was a line in there that really stuck out to me about standing up to sort of the petty tyrants while ignoring the egregious crimes of your allies who are massive tyrants and doing yeah. terrible things and how that just sort of hollows out your, your moral core. Any moral authority you have to speak on various issues, to take action on these issues, yeah. on, on – on, uh, Beyond this, the realm of uh, military action. Did you like um, Gary's book, gone. by the way? Um, I liked aspects of it. There were yeah. other aspects of it that I thought were um, I can imagine there's a lot not of quite right. Yeah, 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 not yeah. quite right. We should actually we should get him on and he, talk to him about that. He lives not too far from here, and he's an absolutely. I mean, you don't have to say he's a brilliant guy. He beat an IBM computer. In yeah, chess. but he's he's going to shout at but me. But he's no, he uh, Gary shot about everything. He's, he's, <laughs> he's like he's ordering like oh, no, I want tea with two lumps sugar. Yeah, and can, it's he, like can he last like thirty minutes without just smoking a pack of? Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't smoke. He it looks like a, 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 Vladimir Bukowski, the old Soviet doesn't know I met the same day that I met Kasparov for the first time, who uh, was basically set up by the FSB with, on child porn charges. Look this up. It's crazy. He had like, you know, set up. I, well, I think I actually think this is true. He <laughs> had, you know, I kid, as, I as somebody once wrote and I can't remember who wrote it. He had he had teeth that looked like the skyline of Beirut. And he's just like <laughs> oh smoking, smoking one after another. And it's a guy who's been in every Soviet mental institution for offending the authorities. But a quick thing before we pivot, I don't know if we're going to pivot, but a quick thing before we pivot. And I think it's something that, you know, uh, when I listen to podcasts and I'm always walking around listening to various podcasts um, and the things that that I that, that get I, I love doing it because somebody will get on a topic and I'll sort of start wargaming the things that they're saying and saying, well, they're right. But what about this? And there's one counterfactual in this that I was thinking about. Um, earlier today, and it's the red line stuff, and you know the the the, the vote, and this mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of you know, can you have a Potemkin vote? It's kind of a phony vote, and if that vote, well, I'm had, sorry, which vote? The 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 vote for authorization from from oh, the Obama If we do that here, if we do okay. that, if the if you know, you, I guess you're following at that point the British government. But if you do that on your own, let's let's just war, or listeners can war game this because it's an interesting counterfactual. And again, this is the stuff of novels. It's not the stuff of policy. But 
if you actually unleash the hounds of hell, particularly the Air Force, on Assad's Air Force, on Assad's airfields and a no-flies and all this stuff, there are, as we well know, and this is stuff to consider when you're, when you're um, you know, creating your own counterfactual here, you do this and there are, you know, attendant problems. Try to figure out what those problems are. Mm. But think about this thing. The Russians fill that power vacuum pretty much after that. Mm -hmm. If the Americans act in a, not a lead from behind way, but just in an air power way that we did in the 90s in Iraq, what does the situation look like on the ground? Because the real vacuum of, of ISIS and al-Nusra and these things are really being filled after that. If there is a, a, a muscly show of American power, does that change the situation that we see now? Are there no further gas attacks? Are those children alive? Are the Russians cleaving off part of Crimea? Do they feel emboldened? Is the world in a sense of disarray, not because of America's failure in Iraq, but because after America's failure in Iraq, America retreated giving other big powers, some of whom are scummier than our own power, uh, the opportunity and, you know, the kind of lead to take that on. Is that the case? I don't know because it's counterfactual. Well, this is, I, it's an interesting thing to think about. One can, I'm one, not making that argument, by I, the No, way. I, I want to so throw out before uh, Camille uh, gets it. in here and tries to pivot is that <laughs> the other part is Libya. Um, sure. Li and Libya, That's an important point. And Libya created some of the – it's called ISIL, right? I mean uh -huh. it, was, it was those two countries kind of in concert that yeah. were the stuff created. And Libya – Derna uh, became Derna became a capital of Islamic State pretty quickly. And, mm. uh, and part of the reason why we did Libya – the way that we did is that democratic, by which I mean small d in America, appetite for this type of stuff is smaller and smaller and smaller. There was no appetite for invading in Syria and, and, and or doing anything in Syria in 2013. There just wasn't. Yeah. Um, the appetite maybe arguably grew after the beheading uh, videos, the ISIS videos in 2014. Um, those kind of things. It really changed American sure. public opinion. But at that time, there was an appetite for it. So what we would have done in 2013 probably would have been more Libya-like. Mm -hmm. And Libya on its own didn't work very well. And so I think it would it would be less like the Iraq containment, which regardless of anything else, was super expensive and ultimately led to the Iraq war. I'm talking about the 90s no-fly sure. containment. So that, that's my one thing. Well, particularly the Iraq Liberation Act of 1998, which made it government policy to overthrow Saddam Hussein. Which Al Gore like defended vociferously and promised at an APAC conference in 2000, but no one talked about it. Look at the people who sponsored it. I will say this. I mean, for... <laughs> It is certainly possible that the United States could have maintained a presence in the region and perhaps things would have stabilized. Perhaps everything would have been fine um, or at least more fine than it is. Um, but I don't know that most non-interventionists, um, most non-interventionists like myself, um, believe that this is a, a panacea that will get you, you know, great results and will work out particularly well. Um, I will say, on the other hand, when it comes to interventionists who advocate for, say, going into Syria particularly hard, like uh, one John Bolton today did uh, when I was doing a Kennedy show earlier. I didn't have an opportunity to engage with our old friend John, um, but he was uh, particularly dickish to Kennedy today um, using his old tactic. Can I finish? Are you going to let me finish? Will you let me finish talking? I, I don't know that you have to open and close your arguments with that, but it's certainly annoying and it definitely might throw you off your game if you're not a skilled uh, rhetorician. But in, in, in either case, he um, he asserted quite boldly 
that what you need to do in Syria is you go in there and you knock out Assad and, you know, yeah, you, you find a way to you, you contain things uh, so that you can make certain that what comes after it is good. And Kennedy kept asking him, well, how do you how do you do that, actually? How do you do that? No answer provided. Because how do you do that? Can, can I to this point? I talk. I don't think this is telling tales out of school. I talked to Kennedy today on the phone. I talked about. She mentioned uh, that. Yeah, we we talked about this uh, particular issue, and you know, I'm skeptical of all this stuff involving Syria. I mean, I am, you know, horrified by by the sarin gas attack, and I hope for nothing more than a bullet to find its way between the two eyes of Bashar al-Assad, the human toothbrush. There's not a lot of space between those two No, no, he's the human toothbrush. Uh, You know, he looks like Videla from Argentina. He's just tall with a little, little, he looks like a toothbrush. So, you know, the thing that I had said to Kennedy is like, you know, if you asked somebody like Bolton, asked one of these guys who is like coming to the White House, hanging out, saying, trying to make his peace with Donald Trump, what do you think of the executive order? What do you think of the, the executive order on refugees, w- by, which is justifies its existence by saying this? We can't vet these people. <laughs> we don't know where they're from, etc. Yeah. Now, if you talk to these very same people, what should we do? We should have armed them. Motherfucker, you can't <laughs> vet people coming into the country who are covered in dirt going, I Give don't them have guns. food. But you know what we can do is randomly hand out guns to people saying, I don't know what faction you're with, but figure it out, you guys, and yeah. overthrow Assad. On one hand, can't vet them. On the other hand, these are going to be the liberation force. They're going to overthrow yeah, Assad. He, he didn't have great answers for that either. Oh, how, did how she do bring we, that up? Yeah, well, she did ask. Like, How do you know who these uh, yeah. free Syrian army folks are, the way uh, John McCain wants to, to help them out? Look, in McCain, how do in we Mc- know? Look, in McCain had... An, an, and, and, and there is a problem that when you fight on this issue and you and you uh, you know attack the idea of the Free Syrian Army, you do have to keep in mind that in 2011 and 2012 there was such a thing as the Free Syrian Army that did actually have its own internal command structure and was a real, if not secular, then definitely not an Islamist organization. But when you dither as long as you do. Who do these people? Who's waiting in the banlieues of France and in Molenbeek in Belgium, and you know, sort of Husby in Stockholm and Grönland in in fucking Norway? Name they're another all, one. Do all, another one. Do all, another one. <laughs> I can keep going if you want. Yeah, they're all sort of waiting to be the Abraham Lincoln Brigade of psychotic Islamic fascists. <laughs> my guess. I hate using that phrase. I didn't mean to, but it, it is. These people are waiting in the wings to be the to be the Spanish Civil War, to be the International Brigade, to be the Mujahideen what they were in the early 1980s in Afghanistan, to wait and come and fill that vacuum. So if you want to talk about the Free Syrian Army, build me a fucking time machine. Because what happened since 2011, 2012, the situation has switched so dramatically that we might want to make friends with al-Nusra, which is affiliated with al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda kicked out ISIS because they were too crazy. I mean, Zarqawi was like... Zarqawi received a letter. And by the way, there is a book that I have a few problems with, but it is very, very, very good by a Washington Post correspondent who won the Pulitzer Prize named Joby Warwick. I wrote a book called Black Flags. It is one of the best books on ISIS, and it's about the rise of Zarqawi from a Mm. thuggish, petty criminal in Jordan to, you know... Overnight, he didn't mean to be the head of ISIS. ISIS. It was, you know, well, it was Colin Powell. Al-Qaeda in Iraq at well, that time. Yeah, well, it was, it was yeah. Colin Powell, and he went before in the United Nations and puts up a big picture of Zarqawi. And Zarqawi was like, holy fuck, dude, I'm on TV. <laughs> and it's because he was in the hinterlands with Ansar al-Islam, which is, a you know, had no connection to the, to the government of Baghdad. And that was their connection saying Al-Qaeda is here. 
in Iraq. So Zarqawi gets a letter, you know, after this madness starts, and and it's from Ayman al Zawahiri, mm-hmm. the one of the intellectual godfathers of of um, of Al Qaeda, who's from Egypt, and he he was like, I believe the translation was, "Dude, calm down." And they basically are, you know, excommunicated, not apostatized, but they were excommunicated. And so you have our other option, the Al Nusra Bacanes, who kidnapped a friend <laughs> of mine, by the way. And this, and we're brutal and torture and murder and the rest of it. But it's like, you know, everything has gone so mad mm-hmm. that, wait, are we going to deal with those people? Yeah. What are the options in Syria? Is the, is the, is the kind of punctuation of that rant? Because the punctuation of that rant is, there aren't good options. Well, this is uh, this is perhaps why Donald Trump, when asked what we should what uh, should happen with uh, Assad after uh, all of this has gone down, he says, "Well, some something should happen," which is uh, I think that's it. Something, yeah, something should happen. Um, I want to pivot because uh, there has been another important story uh, over the course of the last couple of days here. Uh, Susan Susan Ghazi. Susan, uh, Su- Susan Rice, uh, yeah. the uh, former national security <laughs> advisor yeah. uh, to the uh, Obama administration, uh, is in the headlines again. And she's in the headlines uh, because of some stories written by uh, a gentleman by the name of Eli Lake, who who joins us via Skype connect- connection. Uh, Eli, how's it going? It's good. Uh, greetings from uh, from Washington, D.C. Good. From the back of an Uber or, or something <laughs> like that. Because this is very important. Uber. I'm like waiting for the Uber. Oh, okay. All right. So, if you so at are, some point, you'll have a conversation with the Uber driver. Are your pants politely. khaki? Is your uh, blazer navy? And is your shirt white? So yeah. close. <laughs> <laughs> really, very close. I, I have only I have gray slacks on, not wow. khakis. But yeah. other than that, a hundred percent. Well, there are many there are many things that I'd like to talk to uh, talk to you about related to this story. Um, uh, but I do want to start with one thing in particular, um, which is uh, you were doing an MSNBC hit and you were asked a very poignant question, and and I didn't I didn't like your answer. So I'm gonna play. <laughs> I want to want you to listen to this question again and, and try again. Details from your report appeared last night. Mm-hmm. Another report by the man who pushed the PizzaGate story. Does that concern you? Now, I'm not going to play your answer, but yeah, you, you, you were, you were polite. I don't know that you knew Eli's that what she was, guy. what she was actually doing was suggesting that you are a lunatic conspiracy theorist and that the quote unquote facts in your fake news article are not facts. I only found out about Mike Cernovich because he was recently on a 60 minutes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. I, um, I thought he was on, you know, some sort of amphetamine <laughs> or some kind of, Something along those lines, because he seemed really amped and yeah. like unhealthily. So you know what I mean? Yeah, um, not like the Moynihan and, at uh, like three a.m. Right. And then, it's a and different then like, one. you know, I was I was vaguely aware of PizzaGate. It's not like you know I don't follow the fake news, uh, yeah. Eli. For uh, okay, good. I'm in the Uber now. He's getting the Uber. Um, Sorry, I thought so, you were referring to yourself in the third person. Eli doesn't follow the fake news. <laughs> Which actually would have been a little more badass. Should do that next time. You know, time. the internet is enormous. So how am I supposed to cover like everything? And apparently he has a lot of followers. And when I was reporting and writing the story in Susan Rice, I had no idea that this Medium post was out or that a hashtag was trending on Twitter. I mean, it, did, it was like not even – it was one of these things that really wasn't on my radar – Um, I kind of had written a draft the night before, but was, you know, waiting for some comment and that's the genesis of it in terms of my reporting. And then, um, then I noticed on Twitter that Cernovich was claiming credit for the story 
And if you read our stories, they're very they're different. I mean, they're they're the same big headline, but they're very different in the details. And you know, I think mine was much more accurate and had like you know just more context. That yeah, I'm not even the main real news. Yeah, the main exactly the main difference between those pieces is which you see right away is that you're not mentally ill. That's the first <laughs> thing. The second thing is Eli Lake, uh, who's joining us from Bloomberg News, uh, News and Views. Uh, give us a kind of pricey of what the column was and what the story was that you broke. Yeah, sure. I, what I, I have been following for the last six weeks, what I think is a part of the Russia gate story, which is the weaponization or alleged weaponization of the surveillance state and the national security state to basically turn the, the allegations, which some of it may very well be legitimate on Trump's uh, ties to Russia and his organization's ties to Russia as a kind of means to, to delegitimize him. And some of this is because the Trump people have been really amateurish in how they've handled a lot of these issues. So Mike Flynn had to resign. Jeff Sessions got in a lot of trouble. We just saw today the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, who was an ally of Trump's, Devin Nunes, had to recuse himself from the Russian investigation. So I was interested in covering this issue, which I saw... And it smelled to me like an abuse of power because the this, this story going back six weeks to Mike Flynn was that even though we've now subsequently learned that he should have registered as a foreign agent for Turkey, and there were a lot of things that would have disqualified him to be national security advisor, the reason that he resigned was because a com- conversations he had with the Russian ambassador when he was the incoming national security advisor were leaked selectively to the Washington Post and then confirmed by nine current and former officials. That was a huge red flag for me because I get leaks. Reporters who cover national security get leaks all the time. I'm very much in favor of leaks. We have excessive secrecy. I say this all the time. But it's almost it's, – it's so rare that you would ever get anything detailing conversations that are surveilled of American citizens by the U.S. government. It's rare to get anything like that, even if it's foreigner, foreigners, because it's, it's the most highly guarded secrets. But when we're talking about American citizens, that's the kind of thing that it's super dangerous that it would ever appear in the press, because that would really violate a kind of implicit trust we have in our country, which is that we let the government do lots of eavesdropping, but we trust that that power will not be used for a partisan or political end or interfere in our politics. And so far, we've been pretty good about that in the post-FISA, that's the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act era, after we discovered lots of abuses from people like Richard Nixon and J. Edgar Hoover. But that to see it return like that with Flynn, even if you think it was in a good cause and didn't like Flynn, that to me was a real red flag. So I've sort it, of been covering that element of it. And it's funny because it, the, 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 bed, the strange bedfellows here is I, I've consistently seen uh, a sometimes friend, sometimes foe of yours, Glenn Greenwald, positively tweeting a lot of Eli Lake stories recently because of this, right? I think it, yeah, and I would imagine, I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine it would cause quite a lot of consternation in the Intercept staff who has, uh, you know, we're filled with many people who, 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 who don't take such a nuanced view of me. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. Anyway, um, yes, no, and, and it, uh, it has been sort of strange fellows with, with Glenn Greenwald. Glenn and I, you know, of course, disagree on so many things, but on this one, I think we agree. And, and there's a few others who, I've, who I have to say, have really looked at this, but for the most part, I really feel like it's been fairly lonely among, you know, sort of, say, mainstream media people like myself, 
covering this side of the story because there's enormous pressure here to not give an inch to Trump uh, on anything. Mm-hmm. And it's because he's seen as a kind of extension level threat. And Trump, you know, and, I, and for the most part, I agree that Trump's bad and has terrible tendencies. I think he's I don't think he's a fascist. I think he's far too amateurish for that. Mm-hmm. Fascists are much better at consolidating power and implementing an agenda. And dressing. But, <laughs> you know, Long right. Times. But that said, I do. I mean, like, I'm, I was not a, a Trump guy, and I'm not a Trump guy. But that said, this, I feel, is, is a real story. And so what I had, building up to the thing that I wrote on Monday, uh, was that Susan Rice had made dozens of requests in the transition period to uh, unredact or unmask the names of U.S. persons who are sort of blacked out in these reports. And like another part of the story, she was getting a lot of summaries of raw intelligence that dealt with the transition. And then at least according to one person who has seen it, who's talked about it, which is Devin Nunes, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, a lot of these reports had nothing to do with Russia. So I always thought, I thought that was pretty suspicious. And she has since, uh, you know, defended herself on um, MSNBC on Tuesday and we're seeing a lot of, you know, folks saying, oh, well, there's nothing really to see here. Uh, this is totally normal. Unmasking is not a crime. I mean, I, I made none of these allegations in my piece, but I, I wrote a follow-up to it, and I, I guess I would put this to you guys, which is, um, isn't the scandal maybe hiding in plain sight, which is that it's pretty easy for a national security uh, advisor, who is inherently partisan, to learn the names of these redacted U.S. persons whenever they want, because the standard is, it helps me better understand this piece of foreign intelligence, which could mean anything. And would would is this like a big kind of hole in the FISA process? I'm inclined to think it is. Um, and I'm suspicious of the fact that there are so many people who are, you know, in the kind of national security realm and, you know, former NSA lawyers who like that. I said, oh, well, everything's proper and nothing to see here. Um, it, it seemed pretty suspicious to me, and I continue to cover the story. Uh, quick uh, factual stuff here, uh, Eli. Yeah. Um, has Can you think of an analogous leaking as happened to Flynn that happened to any other American citizen over the last 40 years? Yeah, well, okay, so, so a couple points here. One, um, the issue really isn't about Flynn's privacy. I know this sounds odd because, I, to me, the issue really is about using – the power of the surveillance state for a political or partisan end. So the closest that I know about was a Jeff Stein piece from 2010 that discussed intercepts that caught Jane Harmon, who is a former Democratic congresswoman and a former ranking member on the Intelligence Committee in conversations with an APAC lobbyist. Um, and that was, a, that was, a, that was a, a big story, did not have the same bounce because it wasn't connected to that big political scandal hey, uh, uh, Eli, as the Flynn stuff. Eli, it is a quick, quick uh, uh, news yeah. flash here, uh, headline that uh, we see that just came up three minutes ago. Uh, U.S. launches missiles at Syrian base after chemical weapons attack. Holy shit. Uh, the United States launched dozens of cruise missiles Thursday night at a Syrian airfield in response to what it believes was the Syrian government's use of a banned, chemi- banned chemical weapons Blamed for having killed at least 100 people on Tuesday, U.S. military's officials tell NBC News. Uh, you don't know many details, and that's about as much as I know. What do you think of that? I will say that the dinner that I am coming from to be on this podcast, this everybody was discussing it. And the reporters knew that this was coming, you know, this evening. I'm mean, starting around 6, we were hearing 
something's going to happen. And if you look at what Trump was saying and Tillerson and other senior officials, it was pretty clear that there was going to be some kind of airstrike. And so I'm not I'm not surprised. It is really significant. Um, I mean, those airfields, Eli, have a lot of, I, I would imagine, Russian military hardware if it's an airfield uh, anywhere near Damascus. Does that was that something that people that you were talking to or you yourself uh, uh, are worried about? Oh, worried about in what sense? In, in in the sense that you know, I mean, you have a relationship with Russia, which is uh, according to all of the news stories of the past three months, getting closer. Uh, this uh, is going to fracture that in some way. I would imagine that's what I mean. I mean, well, I'm against um, any reset or friendly relations with Russia. I'm I, I would I would hope that they're sabotaged. Um, my view of Russia right now is that we should treat Russia like um, Ebola or AIDS <laughs> and Jeez. a kind of international poison AIDS that Bola. we have to protect institutions from Russia. Uh, I, I mean, I, I would I would sort of say we should have a policy of delegitimation um, and, you know, try to try to try to protect the world order from uh, this predator state. So this is very good news. I hope there was lots of Russian equipment and it causes a massive dust up between the United States and Russia and that any any hopes for any kind of better relations between US and Russia are um you know uh thrown out the window to to sort of paraphrase um the, the old sting song I hope the Russians hate our children too. Is, is there is there what is the what is the end game in a situation like well, that? Well, the one thing I wonder is, you know, if there and I don't know if anyone you talk to has discussed this if if the United States gave any foreknowledge to the Russians about this. Well, well obviously, I, I because would assume uh, that they did. Yeah, Trump is the Manchurian president. Yeah. I would assume, so. you think that they did. I would imagine they they must have at the very least maybe for the Israelis. Yeah. Um yeah. I mean, of course, I don't want a shooting war with Russia. I'm not. I don't want to, you know, escalate to, you know, that scene in War Games, Threaton Five or whatever. No, I'm not. Not even a light that, one. Obviously. Yeah, Matthew Broderick. Uh, that was Threaton yeah, Two. Right. Five. No, no, five is okay. Just, two what is bad. I'm saying is that the Russians are are so um, have done not just in our election, but you know, you look at their invasion of Ukraine and their their interference in the French elections and 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 other European elections. Um, that it's 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 time to kind of you know really uh, we have to come up with strategies to protect ourselves from their what's sometimes called hybrid warfare, which is you know more of this political and uh, skullduggery stuff. Um, so I mean it's I, so that was a big worry about me with Trump. But I would just say before this even happened, none of the, there's been very little stuff that that Trump's done in the first 75 days or however many days we are at that would be good for Russia at this point, because if you look at it, like, first of all, big deal that he's meeting Xi, the, the yeah. leader of China before Putin. Uh, no one's lifted any sanctions. In fact, the statement stated policy on sanctions has been there won't be any sanctions lifted until they get out of Ukraine. I mean, mm. that, that's pretty good. And so it's been a, a continuation of um, what it's been a continuation pretty much of Obama's approach. Um, I will see if they sell defensive weapons to the Ukrainians. That's probably not in the cards, but neither did Obama. Um, but what do you what do you think they what do you think the end game is here and what happened uh, tonight? What happened? What we found out about three and a half minutes ago is that you know is this going to be a Bill Clinton type thing where you you know you 
you shoot a camel in, camel in the ass in the middle of the desert and then you, you uh, wipe your hands of it the next day. The people that you've talked to, I mean, is, is this the first salvo in a uh, campaign here? I mean, is this something that will, will involve troops? Will this something, is there a coalition being built? What do you know? Um, well, I mean, I'm still reporting this out. There are some people in the Trump National Security Cabinet who are talking about fairly substantial conventional forces for both Iraq and Syria. Oh, wow. The last I heard, which is a couple of days ago, before the chemical weapons strike, uh, was that Trump uh, hated that idea very much um, and doesn't want to have another Iraq war. Um, but I think that there are people like Mattis and others who are beginning to maybe come around to that. I know it's one option that's being considered. Um, the end game at this point, I don't think they've thought that through. Um, but the Shocking. one thing that just, just the strike alone politically for Trump accomplishes a couple things for him. One, it's hard to say, it's, it's harder to make the argument that he's the Russian stooge and, you know, because he's done this, because, you know, if he was a Russian puppet, this is clearly something that the Russians would not want him to do because Assad is their Russian client. That's the dictator of Syria. Um, Eli's well, that, that's, two, that's what they'd want you to think, Eli. That's 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 the well, whole reason. Sure, you gotta for this. you gotta like you guys. Yeah. I, I, can I can I tell my little joke about about um, Trump because everyone says he's far more clever and nobody sees him. So my joke is he's playing five dimensional hungry hungry hippos. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just spit over my there's two co-hosts. You know, there's a legitimate whiskey uh, uh, spit take from oh, Matt. Good. Yeah. yeah, that was wow. that's that's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so. Uh, and the other thing it does is it's like we we he successfully has changed the topic. So he really didn't change it. He said something. I mean, I, as the guy who uh, broke uh, the or I don't know, as I as somebody who got a lot of attention for my Susan Wright story. Um, That's very you know, generous of you, Eli. When President Trump then told the New York Times, Maggie Haberman, I think she may have committed a crime. <laughs> yeah. That was supposed to be the big distractor from you know, the failure of Obamacare and the Russia inquiry and, the, you know, all these other bad <laughs> news stories that he doesn't like. But yeah. this really is going to distract people from that because it's it a little does wag in the dog. some ways. Yeah. Sorry. There's <laughs> a little wag the dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does. But it also like, unlike when Clinton bombed the aspirin factory in Sudan, yeah. um, you know, right around the Monica stuff, you know, Clinton, you know, was, was not accused of, uh, you know, colluding with the Sudanese, (laughs) (laughs) right? I mean, but like Trump's accused of colluding with the Russians. And so this really does throw a monkey wrench in that narrative. And I really have to say, I am looking forward to seeing what Louise Mensch has to say about all this, because I'm looking for to explain that, like, actually, the real game here is, you know, this is another distraction. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I think the Wi-Fi might be out under the Queensboro Bridge. I don't know if she's going to be <laughs> oh, respond- responding. Wow, that's rough. Responding tonight. But I, I think just... it also has a good effect on, you know, uh, the North Koreans who have seen, uh, incidentally, in the past month, and, and we've talked about it a bit in the show, and kind of overlooked by people focusing on the the Russia story or non-story, depending on where you come at this, that the uh, FAD uh, missiles, the uh, potential order of B-1s and B-52s into Seoul, and uh, just saying and, and, and saying that this previous policy 
has failed, as Rex Tillerson said, and quote unquote, all options are the, on the table. People say that all the time. And as a matter of fact, Obama's former Secretary of Defense, Ash Carter, said the same thing to me a month ago. Uh, so that right. didn't alarm me so much. But I think this is probably also having the uh, effect of sending a message to Pyongyang that, you know, that incompetent, dithering administration in D.C., we can make decisions fast, and sometimes those decisions have warheads on the end of them. And I can yeah, just, I mean, just, just yeah, to okay, interject, okay. sorry, Eli, I just uh, I think that tonight and in the course of this podcast, we have gotten we've broken apart the bromance between glenn greenwald and eli lake i don't, yeah, I don't yeah, think he could survive sure. this yeah he can't survive it was, it was well, intact at the yeah, beginning well, I mean, you yeah. know goes in we, we, we can agree on something that's true i would just say and you know to further break apart that bromance <laughs> you know um there you know it's it's good to bomb dirtbags <laughs> every now and again because it's a message to all the other dirtbags and <laughs> that's that that I bromance like, you know, is I dead i know that that's gonna, gonna sound neocon 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 sure yeah, I'll take it. A little bit, but, yeah, a little bit. The lie. Yeah, it's just it's only the unintended consequences that uh that that bother me. Um, because yeah, there no, there, listen, there are occasions far from some. the days of like nation building. You know, we're going to invade and you know we're going to bring democracy to Iraq. No, it's true. That we definitely won't far. stick around and do that. We will just keep kicking everyone in the yeah. teeth. But yeah. I'm saying every now and again, especially after Obama, where he had the red line and they, they talked about it and then they did all this and the other, it's just. Something like this, it does send a clear message. Like, okay, he's willing to do something like this. Maybe we should stop dicking around. And but isn't that the suck on this Thomas L. Friedman kind of uh, philosophy of life? Like, isn't that isn't that a little playgroundy? And it, it has worked the other way as well. I mean, the North Koreans, when they've seen that the United States appears to have their hands full uh, in a situation, have also acted out under those circumstances. So Look, I, I, yeah, I'm I mean, not sure. I, I mean, mean, it's the bottom line is it's complicated. Um, and, and... Widely mocked, and rightfully so, that after a brutal sarin gas attack, uh, the administration, both through Sean Spicer and, and Trump himself, condemned the attack while also condemning Obama's yes. red line comment. Look, they are both right about this. I just thought it was kind of a, um, a sleazy thing to do at that moment. Mm -hmm. So it does strike me that says, hey, you know, by the way, when you did when, when that last sarin gas attack and we dithered and we sat on our hands and we tried, thought about it and we went to Congress and all this stuff. Uh, we're not going to do that. And there is uh, definitely uh, Obama dancing in his head when he makes these decisions. So. Uh, Eli, uh, you wrote a great piece for Reason that I edited, so it must have been really uh, awesome. Oh, that, thank <laughs> you. By the way, that, 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 was, that, that was a great experience. About, uh, <laughs> very happy well, with that. Well, one day we'll talk about our experience, you and I, with Gary Johnson. But that's, a, that's, a, that's a story for another uh, – <laughs> uh, Is that uh, what you're calling it this week? <laughs> well yeah, – So yeah. weird. Uh, but uh, – uh, it uh, you, you smoke with Gary Johnson. You wrote uh, Eli smokes weed when he brushes his no, teeth in the doesn't. morning. No, he doesn't. That's a lie. Oh, is it? That's, it's okay. a lie. Anyways, uh, the, <laughs> we like to have fun with our guys. on the nine fourteen uh, resolution, uh, 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 September fourteenth, two thousand and one. This kind of open ended. We always get to go to war. So we're now uh, we've lobbed at least uh, fifty nine Tomahawk missiles onto a Syrian air base. Uh, as far as uh, the report, early reporting is in. Um, can you just talk us briefly about the authorization piece of that? Is that legal, according to your understanding, with the September 14th authorization? Where, what's your your uh, view on where the politics of authorization of uh, these kind of war things are right now? I Wow, it's a great question. I don't know, because oddly, we just struck forces that are fighting you could the offshoot of Al Qaeda, you know, several times over, right? Mm. So I had, I mean, I would argue that the 
the authorization that Obama used to go after ISIS in Syria and Iraq in 2014 was pretty specious because ISIS at the time was fighting Al Qaeda, and you know the way that that authorization was interpreted was that it was you know the people responsible for 9/11, which was meant Al Qaeda and affiliated forces. So it allows you to do all these things all over the world, but you still had you still were going after. It still had to have some something to do with 9/11. Now you're fighting the Syrian regime that actually is fighting the offshoot of Al Qaeda, which isn't even which is also fighting Al Qaeda because it's split so much. I have argued that we needed a new resolution and we should have it expire every few years and debate it again so we can have the Congress and the people's representatives have some say so over this. I think that's a worthwhile, um, worthwhile suggestion. Compared to my last comment about the, the sort of virtues of bombing dirtbags from time to time, <laughs> it may confuse the listeners. Why am I talking about it reasserting congressional? Well, I'm a, you know, a little bit of a hybrid. I'm like a <laughs> neocon libertarian. You know, I like, I like that freedom and I like that war. But, you know, <laughs> let's have some civilian control over it. I don't know. Well, there's, there's at least some possibility that in the, uh, in the age of Trump, when folks find themselves uh, in opposition to virtually everything that he does, even when it makes them uh, contradict themselves, uh, that one of the uh, consequences of this, uh, this particular barrage, this salvo, uh, might be uh, congr- the Congress reasserting um, its uh, its role in these foreign policy questions. Um, that would be fantastic, wouldn't yeah, it? That, that would be a, an interesting silver lining. I wonder who suggested that that and would if, happen. I know we're jumping around, but if I could just go back to kind of the original thing, it's a point that I really think needs to be made, particularly to listeners of this podcast. And, and other, it's just that uh, if you care about civil liberties, and I do, then you've got to be very careful about Things like the leak of the Flynn phone call or leaking the names of F targets of really serious FBI investigations and drumming up all this stuff about basically allegations on Russia with Trump, because those tactics, especially since it's so easy to um, learn you know, information about American citizens who might be your political opposition, which is what I think may have happened here with Obama and uh, Rice and, and, the, and the Trump transition, that. Trump will have no problem using any of that against uh, his domestic opposition. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to sort of enforce those norms, too. And I have seen precious little concern about this from a lot of my uh, liberal friends who instead think, oh, my writing on all this stuff is just helping uh, the, the, the mean, bad, orange-haired, you know, Cheeto president. I think the, that- phrase, the phrase that was used was aiding and abetting. Um, on, on yeah, eating it, but no, I've, I've never like on Twitter. It's getting out of hand, but yeah. it's okay. <laughs> to that point, Eli, um, uh, I see a lot of chatter about how uh, Obama, uh, uh, late in his presidency, expanded the number of people who had access to some of this national security stuff. Um, does that right. affect what you're talking about? It's actually I, this is something that um, is really unclear because the rules changed for. Um, how you could share raw intercepts without the names redacted within the intelligence community. But the issue with Susan Rice is about requesting this, this stuff to be unmasked, and at least from my perspective, how easy it is to do that. Um, and then, and you know, what kind of bothers me is that you know, it, was a, it, was a, it was great to have a big story, but the response from all these, you know, a lot of reporters who were kind of covering it and, and sort of 
skeptically, which is fine, was was sort of to say, well, everybody knows the unmasking procedures are proper and good and it's all fine. Yeah. I'm like, no, nobody knows anything about these unmasking procedures. The first thing I'm trying, it took me like three days to understand what the hell this is all about. Yeah, And, and, and I bet, yeah. you know, you know and, what I mean? Yeah. And by the way, just to point out that you said this before, that um, you did note in that original story that uh, – that nothing that uh, she did was illegal, mm-hmm. and that was uh, that. Yeah, it doesn't look. It, yeah, it right, didn't look like it was all that, a, which... illegal. So, but Eli, thank yeah. you uh, so much for coming on. I, I I heard you come into the apartment, uh, so we'll let you yeah. go. And uh, my cat say hello. You can yeah, you can say yeah. I, well, I heard the door open and close, and I'll let you uh, play a little uh, Grand Theft Auto. Uh, or whatever yeah, it is you that's do. That's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> All right, Eli Lake from uh, from Bloomberg. Uh, follow him. He's uh, got a great column up today about uh, uh, on a similar subject uh, that uh, that uh, you should read about Russia, uh, Trump, and uh, Susan Rice, etc. So, Eli, thanks for joining us. We'll have you back soon. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great, great to be on. Thanks, Eli. Um, so, I mean, we've been going a while. Should we uh, should we uh, wrap this up? And, yeah, uh, let's wrap. Go and, 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 and go outside into America at war with the side. Yeah, yeah. I want to point one thing out that I saw, and uh, I was thinking about this the second um, we saw that this news came came across the wire. Was that how do these people who changed the way they view conservatism to get on the Trump train and were former supporters of the Iraq War, etc. Um, uh, how, how are they reacting to this? And I just saw one already, and that person's Laura Ingram, who has changed. I mean, she was somebody who was very in favor of the Iraq War. The media was distorting America's progress in Iraq, etc. This is her uh, tweet uh, from 20 minutes ago. Missiles flying. Rubio's happy. McCain ecstatic. Hillary's on board. A complete policy change in 48 hours. So they're, uh, huh. they're, they're kind of pissed. Interesting. Uh, We'll see uh, if they, they put a lot of they put a lot of their energy some into of these, becoming some of that, so, will that stick? Some of those I same think people you do. I think it will. Some of those same people, including Sean Hannity, his first known break with the Trump administration, uh gave Trump a little guff when he went after the Freedom Caucus. So Ingram said that's the wrong people. Even Hannity said, Look, the Freedom Caucus are good people. Hmm. Uh so there are at least some muscle memory over at the Blaze, they're going nuts about yeah. uh the, the Freedom Caucus stuff. Well, so it'll be interesting to see if they go uh yeah. well, they have, Trump have the made war. made nice a little bit after uh, Rand Paul. Donald Trump took their, uh, and, their uh, golf outing. And one more thing. You remember on the last uh, episode of this podcast, uh-huh. I, or I think it was the last one, I pointed out that a uh, call uh, that uh, uh, was an interview that nobody pointed out and got no play afterwards of Lindsey Graham saying that he had a meeting with Donald Trump and he said, I think you're going to like me on the military. I'm going to be very good on the military. That's right. mm-hmm. And he was all of a sudden like, yeah, I mean, I kind of believed him. Um, he was right to believe him, apparently. Kyle Smith, who we should have on the show, a hilarious longtime New York Post columnist and movie reviewer who just left and went to the National Review, which yeah. is a, a, a great sadness for a member of my family, um, just tweeted out uh, 2016 Trump is going to be pissed when he finds out what uh, 2017 Trump just yeah, did. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, he's, yeah. he's constantly changing. Yeah, Very constantly. Flu- he's fluid like that. I, you know what? It he is, goes both ways. I like – not every podcast – you know, starts with a setup of breaking news that we didn't know was going to happen, and then yeah. absorbs it and reacts to it. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah, well, they know, don't. They don't really know. They don't really know when we recorded this. Um, I, I did want to do a couple of quick things. Um, Chad pointed out, and I mentioned the aiding and aiding and abetting, uh, which was a comment Don Lemon made when he was deciding not to talk about the Susan Rice. Uh, story on his show. Um, Or, in fact, it wasn't to not talk about it. He did, in fact, covered it, but he covered it as fake news, 
as a ridiculous, absurd story that couldn't possibly be true and convened a panel of experts in order to just reinforce that uh, notion. Right. Eli's just a faker. Um, yeah, Don, Don Lemon, the same Don Lemon, uh, who uh, <laughs> talked about black holes swallowing up planes in 2014, uh, as, <laughs> yeah. as Chad pointed out. Very, uh, very decisive, thoughtful uh, journalo. Covering covering the news, the real news, not the fake news. Good to bring back um, the hashtag. Thank you. So that that was good. Um, some idiot wrote something. Uh, there there are at least some idiots doing things. Um, I uh, what comes to mind for me is the uh, outrage that was caused by this uh, this Pepsi campaign, uh, in which yeah, uh, yeah. one of the one of the Kardashians, uh, well intentioned, dear heart, uh, I don't know which one. They all they all. Um, I can't tell if it's not Kim, it's one of the others, the lesser lights, uh, as I call them, um, was, uh, taking part in a photo shoot in this Pepsi commercial. She sees a protest going down the street. Mm -hmm. The protest is not filled with folks who are angry. No one is wearing pink hats inspired by women's vaginas. They are in fact happy. They have signs with peace symbols on them. Everyone is smiling and dancing dialogue and they join. Yes. Dialogue. (laughs) dialogue. And and she decides she's going to join these people who are all, as it happens, drinking Pepsi because that's what happy protesters do. Not wear black and break stuff. And all the uh, photographers have headscarves on. Everyone's happy. And uh, inexplicably upset with her own portfolio. That was a great moment. She's like, God damn these pictures. She wipes them out off the table. She hands the camera. She hands a Pepsi to one of the police officers and, uh, everyone is happy, and um, one of the one of the many uh, sort of critical things that was written was by uh, Jessica Roy at the Los Angeles Times. The head the headline of the uh, article here is "Cringeworthy Pepsi ad uses Kendall Jenner." Oh, that one protests and police to sell soda. And I thought to myself upon seeing that that it is far better to use all of those same things to sell subscriptions for your newspaper. Shut up, it's fine. Yeah, I thought the funny thing about that was like uh, it said uh, all the headlines that I saw in the tweets were like, you know, don't appropriate because everyone's got to use that word once a day or they get, you know, go to like woke prison or something. <laughs> and uh, it said, don't appropriate the Black Lives Matter movement. And I watched the thing and I was like, this is just a this protest. This is just a protest. This is a d- goofy. Just, just and angry people. Angry people. Nope. They're happy no, people. And we still follow DeRay's Twitter feed, right? Because I, I he do. like is always – Selling, he's talking about like how you know you should buy these Doritos and like Taco Bell. Are you re- serious? Oh no, he's famously a total sellout. Really? But is Doritos, he, is he selling things? Doritos. Yeah, one of the Taco Bell uh, tweets was just apropos of zero, and it was just. But cr- it's not. Is I don't know that he's getting paid for that. Is he getting paid for it? Go look at the Taco Bell one. There's no other explanation. Well, the Doritos they, one was I, like they had, like, had. I don't. Like, I'm you know, not a fan a of pro- that guy, but I'm going to defend Doray. Maybe the man just likes himself. He a could couple just of like Jalupas. He could just like Doritos. <laughs> I mean, like a chalupa. Who doesn't no. like a fucking chalupa? You know what? Out of here, every you. every day, at least Racist. once a day, he tweets something along the lines of "I love my blackness and yours," and yeah. um, I how see he, it, he, and I, I and I always that, want to respond, "Gross," but I yeah. don't. I don't know how when I read that, he's not like, getting paid like, for that. What does he like? My blackness? What does he? He does. About? Actually, he loves it. But... He loves it. It's inside of you. It's yeah. your. It's your black. I Everyone mean... <laughs> has a black mother. To quote it's, Rachel Dolezal. Yeah, yeah. It's inside of me. I know that's that's a, d- a different kind of gross joke. Not you know. I know Richard anyway, Spencer. It's fine. Last uh, last thing from me. I just want to say that uh, very 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 sad news today uh, that the great Don Rickles died. Yeah, uh, who was one of my favorite comics of all time and really really raw 
and the original Incel comic, and I tweeted something today because I just did, of course, the Twitter search, and everyone says Don Rickles, you know, this racist, the man who made racism, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I tweeted, and I was tweeting actually with uh, somebody who I know is a listener of the show, uh, and I said, you know, before you say anything about Don Rickles, uh, get his uh, uh, 1968 record, uh, Hey Dummy, or Hey Dummies, actually, I think it is. Um, and it was recorded in 68 at the Sahara in Las Vegas. And the whole thing is a very funny record. It's as incoherent as you expect a Don Rickles record to be. The jokes have them don't make sense, but you know they're funny because they're Rickles. And it's all about the cadence and the flow of his stand-up, which is so brilliant and never stops. In the last two odd minutes of the record, um, this is 1968. You don't need to do this in 1968, in which he's making black jokes and Mexican jokes and Jewish jokes, and he himself was Jewish. He does this like soliloquy at the end where he's like, he's like you know, we're joking. Uh, this is a joke. And he's and he and he looks at and it's totally serious. And he's like, <laughs> and he's totally earnest because he made the language of the time. And he's saying, he's like, you you know, you're colored. I'm a Jew. We're all one. We're all together. And he has this long riff about like if you're taking away like negative associations from my comedy, you're doing it wrong. Mm. And it's the end of a record that you could have easily cut it out. It's a commercial release, and it's a really like nice touching moment that he didn't need to do. And, you know, he got in trouble for an Obama joke uh, that it was like Rickles. It was like 68. And he does this and everyone attacks him. And he's like, you know, he doesn't know. He's just looking, you know, 90 years old somewhere. And it's like there's a few people like, dude, it's Don Rickles. Come on, man. He's just this is the this is the stuff that he does. And I just anticipated that it, it, it that the people would say these horrible things because everything that you ever did and everything you ever said, don't die, by the way, if you're a public figure, because people will sift through the rubble of your existence and find the one thing that they can highlight in the second or third graph and say, you know, you thought your idol was great. And so I was on the road uh, last week and I had a, a game with the crew. There's <laughs> a cameraman and a producer, both of whom are fantastic guys, really smart, really funny. And we were driving for long stretches. And I said, I was talking about this, and it was before Rickles. I was just talking about it, and I said, find the person who you don't, you least expect, who you like or don't like or is a big figure, and that will be destroyed in death that you didn't really think about. And I came up with Eric Clapton, because Eric Clapton once was very, very drunk and on drugs and uh, was at a show in London, and he went on a rant about immigrants and about the National Front. It was a sort of, you know, kind of a Nazi, basically a Nazi party. And he was saying these get and he used the word, which, you know, is very offensive in England. People don't say it here. Wog, uh, you know, and he said this and people were very upset at the time. But that stuff will be resurfaced because you can never die in peace anymore. And your achievements always have to be leavened and tempered by your outbursts and your bad behavior. I have a folder on my um, uh, on my laptop that's anticipating this. It's called uh, Moynihan racism. I'm not. I've never said anything <laughs> racist in my life. What are you talking no, about? No, just things that could no. be misconstrued yeah, that's if they were true. stripped out of context. Yeah, so it's just a folder of fifth column episodes? <laughs> For the most part. Um, uh, no, um, uh, it, it, totally right. Uh, I don't have a – I mean, I could, but I don't want to. It's, uh, it's okay. Uh, were you Were you going to do the, the shout-out to Red Eye? Um, which uh, just taped its last episode tonight. You you, you uh, masterfully you do just do it. Did you do the episode tonight? I didn't do it uh, tonight. I did it Monday. Uh, I was there when uh, when they found out. 
Um, they mm. were pulled into a meeting on Monday, uh, you know, not thinking that they were supposed to be happening. I don't know how many of these facts you're supposed to be giving. Ah, shows over. I've already written about it at Reason.com. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you shouldn't have done it then either, but yeah. <laughs> uh, look, you know, uh, no, yeah. they were they were euthanized. They were told, uh, at least then, and we'll see tonight. Hopefully we can uh, go out and have a drink with uh, honorary independent uh, Tim Diamond. Ah, um, yeah. Uh, who's uh, going to be meeting with us, hopefully, um, that uh, that they want to keep it open to have more live news at 3 a.m., sure. which doesn't obviously sound like yeah. very yeah. plausible uh, to me. Uh, it's very sad. That show, all of us were on. Moynihan was a, was the uh, halftime guy uh, I several did, times. I did. I, I tell you what, I mean, the first time I before I did uh, the Business of Life show, that, which was me reading from Prompter and me, you know, you know hosting a panel show, I mean, the first practice I really got on Prompter, which I had never really done before, done a lot of TV, was because they were really, really nice. And it, I remember being so nervous the first time, never having done it. And I remember fucking it up once, too. And it wasn't live, but I just didn't want to reset, so I kept going. But I, they had me fill in for Andy Levy a bunch of times, a bunch of times, a bunch of them online. And I had an absolute blast doing it. And it was a great, it was a great show. The people were fantastic. And it was a great place to kind of, uh, you know, build up the muscles. You get your way. get your reps. I've yeah. heard that phrase a lot from Jimmy Fallon and other people. Like we, so a lot all, of comics did that too. A lot of comics. I mean, and, Amy Schumer used to be on all the time, which I found out only in this process of, uh, yeah. of mourning that I'll we're t- all I'll doing. I'll tell you a brief story about this. This is uh, things you I wouldn't normally have said, but I was out with uh, Bill Schultz one time, and some other people. I think some reading people were there too. I, I was there. You were there too, and yep. we were we were drinking and uh, at that uh, Italy uh, mm-hmm. that, that roof yep. deck. And uh, Schultz came back That's to the table. That's my birthday. Well, it was, I think. Oh I had a God. cake. Was that your birthday? Scott that Ross true? had superimposed it might have been. Uh, my face on Mike Trout's. <laughs> it might, it might have, was that the night? I, I think, think it, was, it, was, I it might have been. But, uh, uh, you know, Schultz uh, had gone away for a while and came back and said, oh, Schumer's here. It was before she had a real breakup, but it was, it was the beginning of it. Yeah, yeah. And I think the show was on the air. Yeah, it was yeah. on the air and it was like doing well, maybe uh-huh. the first season. Yeah. And she basically said, uh, my agent, and she's probably blaming on her agent, she was like understanding that that big things were coming for her. And she's like, I'm not going to do your show anymore. Oh, I and, that and, and, and told that to Bill Schultz when we were out drinking. We ran into Amy Schumer at a, at a, at a restaurant. But I had many, many fun nights with those guys, uh, Bill, uh, Andy. And uh, and Greg and you know it just was like I really look forward to doing that show because I would never prepare and it was really <laughs> just like the so, podcast so unlike other shows yeah it's weird. well it was just like because you know you used to say and, and on these on these shows a lot of them if people probably don't know this is that you write talking points they to tell you what you're going to talk about and you write some talking points and you say this is generally what I'm, you don't follow them verbatim but you say this is what I'm generally talk about mm-hmm. and the host is given you know a little advance warning and they can have some follow ups and the rest of it. And they used to do that, and I remember the first time I did Red Eye, I wrote like this thousand words in each fucking thing. And then probably like three, four times later, I was still writing these things. And then I was just like, fuck it, I'm not doing it. And then every time I went, they're like, oh, Moynihan doesn't do uh, talking points, because it was so much more fun that way. You used to see comics like studying their jokes, and they would, if they landed... They would freeze. F- freeze, yeah. yeah. And if the jokes landed flat, then they would just like, okay. And it was so much easier... 
just to, you know, shoot the shit. It was a, a television show, the only television show I ever felt like you sit on there and you're just like shooting the shit with people. And the cameras there are incidental. And they were uh, super surrealist, like completely inverting Sweet, the form. Yeah, they were let yeah. they were let go for this whole uh, time. There was a piece by a guy who I don't know, you probably do, uh, who works for Entrepreneur Magazine where uh, Schultz does a lot of stuff, um, uh, who – uh, uh, in his appreciation, he talked about a typical moment, which would be Gutfeld would turn to him and say, Bova, which for some reason is the guy's name. You're short and hairy. What do you think about weaponized dolphins? Yeah. That's what that show was. And the guests, by the way, like uh, the number of weird guests. I remember one night, I, I had a great night. We, I was I was doing halftime and Greg Proops was on, the comic, you know, Greg yeah. Proops, who looks Elvis costello with those glasses, uh, <laughs> who's, like, really liberal, and he was, like, you know, being a supportive of it, and he was friends with Greg. And we, and I gave, a, and you can probably find this online, I did the halftime, and I did one with Proops when he was on remote, but but I was, it was fun, and I was, like, you know, we had a great, like, back and forth and a good rapport. And afterwards, Proops said, do you want to get a drink? I'm going to have a drink with, with, um, with Greg. So we went out. And we went to Langan's across the street. And so we sat, not at the bar, but in, in one of those tables in the back. And a few people came over. And there was a bunch of red-eyed people. And then it was just myself, uh, Greg, and Proops. And we sat there the entire night talking about records. And I remember uh, Proops, and he gave me, he sent me like a direct message on Twitter after. He said, come to my show. We're doing this show in Brooklyn. He was doing a podcast, doing it live. But we probably did about an hour talking about every weird nuance of London Calling. And Greg, who knew the record really, really well, too. And it was like, what is this weird situation that was happened that I came out of the Fox News building with Greg Proops to talk for, like, a couple hours and get super drunk uh, talking about, like, late 70s British punk rock? It was a great – it was just a great time. It was, it was very fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, a, a lot of people, uh, you know, the people we've had as guests here, Andrew Schultz, Snow Coon. Yeah. Um, who wanted to be, you know, the film in Hollywood. And by the way, a lot of my good friends. I made a, I, yeah. lot, I made a lot of great friends on that show. People that I think are funnier than any, like Lauren Savon, who I think is one of the funniest people. Um, Joanne Nosachinsky is really Joanne. Joanne's funny. really funny. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's so funny that, like, I saw that KT McFarlane was, like, a national guy. I was like, I think I was on Red Eye with her. Yeah. yeah and then, yeah. like, I was on, you know. And you John know, Bolton, who. Yeah, Deputy National Security Advisor. And, like, you know, it's like, oh, that's actually kind of scary. My own, only good <laughs> He's the president of Red the building. Eye. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, we can wrap this up. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we had fun there. And if uh, you want us to comment on uh, various scandals in the uh, News Corp building, you'll have to come back next week. Yeah. Bye. This is our anniversary show. Happy anniversary. Let's Thank you, drunk. everybody. Thank yeah, you, everybody. This is really great. And Drunker. we've given you a, a conflict in Syria. You're welcome, America. Bye. We, we know of new <laughs> methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Column.